want to tell you a story this morning about one of the hardest days I had in the seminary, at least in the top five of the hardest days. But at the same time, it's a day that I'm really grateful happened. So when I was in my third year of seminary, and it was called First Theology, so I'd spent two years in pre-theology, kind of like those initial years after college, getting used to everything, getting a degree in philosophy. Then in the third year, you enter First Theology, which is kind of like the master's level studies of theology. And early on in that year, I had the academic dean for one of my fundamental classes called Fundamental Theology. And I had heard that if you write a rough draft for Dr. Ross, that that is just going to like get you right in there. That's a huge thing to do. And so I was like, yeah, of course. And I remember it was early on in the year. We were coming up on parents weekend. So my mom and dad were going to be coming in. I thought, you know what? I've never done this before. I'm going to write a rough draft. And I'm going to turn it into Dr. Ross. Because here's the thing. When I was in high school and I was in college, like I can put together an essay. I can put together a paper pretty quickly. You know, like some people can dribble a basketball really well. I can put together a sentence pretty well. Like it's a thing that I do, you know, and like I enjoy doing that. And quite frankly, I was able to do it pretty darn well, pretty quickly without a lot of effort all the way up to this point. Well, I write this rough draft and I'm thinking, this is amazing, I wrote a rough draft. And I turn it in, I'm thinking I'm gonna be all ready for my parents to come into town. Well, that Thursday afternoon, I run into Dr. Ross in the bookstore. And he says, I wanna see you in my office. And I said, great. And I'm thinking, Dr. Ross is gonna be like, wow, you turned in a rough draft, you're amazing. And I bet you all know where this is going, right? So I go into his office walking in thinking I'm going to get the Congressional Medal of Honor. Like just, yeah, I know, I'm amazing, right? Well, the first thing I see is the rough draft I turn in, and I don't think that paper could have held any more red ink. Um, it was basically bleeding all over his desk. And this was the other difficulty. Dr. Ross was not only my professor, he was also the academic dean. So he also had my file open with all of my transcripts. And he said to me, I don't know how you got the grade point average you got up to this point, but if you keep writing, fill in the blank, like this, you won't last until the end of the semester. To which I just sort of stared and then began the out-of-body experience, right? Where he proceeded to tell me why everything I had written was wrong and terrible and all of this, and it was just like, huh, you know, like just taking it all. And I remember I went to the chapel after that and just like sat there for about an hour and a half just pondering my life and everything to that point. I went back to my room, opened up the file on my computer, hit the old control A, which is select all, and hit the delete button. So like just got rid of the rough draft altogether, right? Now, very, very tough. It was a hard thing to take, but the fact of the matter is, I kind of needed that, you know? Like he was basically saying, it's like, yeah, you can put together a sentence, good for you. But you're not saying anything. There's nothing there, there's no substance. Like, and I needed that. Now, was I excited to get it the way that I did? Not exactly. And to be fair too, just the way this unrolls, the next year, there were two brothers in the seminary, not twins, about three, four years apart, but they're in the same class. And this happened to the younger brother as well. Then the older brother went in to talk to Dr. Ross. Like, you've got to be more sensitive about this. And apparently, he was a little more sensitive about that going forward. So, the correction, right? It goes in many different directions. Things got better for Dr. Ross. Things got better for me. I didn't enjoy it in the moment, but here we are, right? Our Lord gives us in the gospel today 
this formula for correction, right? Because let's be honest, we're all fallen. We all need this. And the fact of the matter is, he wants us to be a part of it. And there's many different virtues that are involved. And I would say one of the big ones is humility. We have to recognize the fact that I too am fallen. There will come times that someone needs to come and correct me. And let's be honest, none of us really love getting corrected. It's a hard thing. But if we're going to engage in what our Lord tells us in no uncertain terms in the first reading from Ezekiel about warning those who are getting stuck into evil ways, okay, we also have to be examining what's going on at home. What am I doing? Like doing good examinations of conscience and when the criticisms come, to ask that question, is this true? And if it is, yeah, maybe I need to be doing some changing. Because the fact of the matter is, we're all in this together. I would say a really good idea, something to do this next week. Go and read the entirety of chapter 18 of Matthew's gospel here. So today, you know, we're at chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Last week, we were all the way back in chapter 16. I think it was 15 to 22 is what we heard last week. So we've skipped a lot. Part of that was the transfiguration. But those first 15 verses of chapter 18, I think are really important for the setting of Jesus talking about fraternal correction here. Because what happens at the beginning of chapter 18 is the disciples, once again, are having a debate about who is the greatest among them. And they even ask Jesus about it. Which one of us is the greatest? So what does Jesus do? He doesn't go, ah, James the less. No. What he does is he brings a child, places it in their midst, and says, unless you turn and become like one of these children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. For the one such as this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here's this child, right? To point out the child is so important. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And notice Jesus puts him in the midst of them. Remember this fact. It's like, look, none of you are like called to be you know, the absolute greatest. No, it's a child. We're not in competition. And why is a child so important? Because they've got the whole package. They can be humble and take correction, right? Like, I love being in the school. You can be like, hey, buddy, you know, your shoes are on the wrong feet. Oh, my gosh, you're right. And they switch them out. It's not like they're scarred for life. Father told me the left shoe's on the right foot. It's okay. They don't mind. You know, like your shirt's on backwards. Okay. And they, they figure it out. They work through it. The other thing about kids, they're not afraid to tell you the unfiltered truth, right? I went through the fourth grade the other day just to tell them, hey, and I like coming out through their door. How you guys doing? And one said, you got a haircut. Like, I did. And he goes, did you get the peace sign shaved in the top of your head? I said, no, buddy, I'm just balding. It's just the way it is, you know? They're going to tell you the truth, you know? And that's where we all fall in. We need to be able to take it, right? We got to take that help and quite frankly, sometimes people can see things that maybe we can't, and to have the humility to take it, but then also to have the courage to help someone out. I'm grateful that Dr. Austin go, gee, I don't want to hurt John's feelings. No, he dealt with it. Now granted, he could have been a little softer, but you know what? I'm grateful at this point, I still pray for the repose of his soul. He passed away a couple years ago, and I'm grateful for the part he played in my formation. And God willing, I helped him a little bit in some ways too. We're all there to do that. I'll tell you something about thinking about God's perspective and looking at this whole teaching on fraternal correction, right? Is so like God seeing us 
and wanting us to get along. Man, I love that line. If you go and tell your brother, if he listens to you, you have won over your brother. Like God is seeing that, seeing reconciliation, seeing brothers come together. What it reminds me of is this past Thanksgiving, my brother, his, uh, my sister-in-law, Krista, their two boys came down. It was wonderful, and we were having Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, we got to the point, the boys had finished, they were excused from the table, the adults are sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, Noah, the younger of the two, like, screams, and then all of a sudden you hear Owen yelling too, and my brother just kind of like, he gets up to go see what's going on. Well, here's the great thing. They had put out some stale bread like out on the patio earlier, and they're like three squirrels going at it, right? And they were watching this with like utter glee and excitement to the point that they're both like yelling with joy. My brother comes back and just kind of sits down and he goes, oh, it's just so good when they get along. And my mom goes, yeah, and it still is, you know? Like, it's not like it goes away when you're in your 40s, right? And when you've got a peace sign on your head. Like, it, it's one of those things where getting along, it keeps taking time. But the fact of the matter is, our Lord wants to be like that child, wants to be in the midst of all of it with us. He who is the perfect embodiment of humility, of the wisdom to know what's going on and the courage to deal with it, he wants to be in the midst of us, just like that child who is in the midst of the disciples. And the one thing I also want to point out is if you look at that last line from today's gospel, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That word for gathered together in the Greek is the word that we get the word symphony from in English, symphonia, this gathering together, all of these different parts coming together you know, in the, in the ordered way. I mean, think about the opening hymn today. It was from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, right? You got all of these different pieces coming together to sing the Ode to Joy. It takes everybody doing that together. And to have the divine conductor, our Lord, in the midst of it all. Not just allowing bad notes to go here and there, but correcting them, working through it. And the thing is, we have him in our midst. I'll tell you, yesterday was so glorious with the Eucharistic Congress. You know, 10,000 plus people in the Charlotte Convention Center, our Lord exposed on the altar in the Blessed Sacrament, and like with all these thousands of people, there's just like quiet adoration. To think about Him in the midst of us, us at peace, together, loving Him, adoring Him, loving one another, it's not like we're jockeying for position, just there in love and peace, and that's what He wants for us. Of course, we're not going to get there in this life, but he wants us to play our part, and it continues to unfold. And so the important thing for us is to keep going to him, to ask him for that grace to grow in love, to grow in humility, to grow in wisdom and courage, to be able to take criticism and to also have the courage to give it. And just remember, when we're called to do either of those things, our Lord wants to be right in the midst of all of it with us. Praise be Jesus Christ.